Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. We spoke with Terry Mooring, the president of the BC Teachers Federation. And we spoke as well with Ben McCauley, who's the manager of Foundry Kelowna, Canadian Mental Health Association's Kelowna Youth and Families Mental Health and Substance Use Clinic about kids not going to school. And they're not going to school or haven't been going to school, depending on where you are in Canada, at different rates because of COVID. In BC, the schools have essentially not been closed since 2020. There was a delay for one week, but they go back to school in British Columbia uh, tomorrow. Other provinces, it's a little bit different. Uh, although Alberta, Manitoba, Quebec, and Nova Scotia, the kids do go back tomorrow. Ontario will be um, the 17th at the earliest. Mr. Ford, of course, talk, talked about exploding. So with us now to speak about this, uh, this issue, and I want to really hear her position. She's been with us before, is Dr. Martha Fulford, infectious diseases specialist, associate professor at McMaster University, and chief of medicine at the McMaster University Medical Center in Hamilton, Ontario. Dr. Fulford, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm well, and uh, I'm, I'm going to stop asking people that <laughs> eventually. I can't stop just yet. I think it's important that I ask that. Anyway, you challenge the closing of the classrooms because of COVID. What's the most fundamental argument against closing the schools? Children don't disappear off the face of the earth if they're not in school. And so when we uh, are looking at any kind of an intervention, there are several issues to look at. One is, uh, well, what's the objective in this case? Uh, presumably people are worried about COVID. And I say presumably because at no point, despite some of the hysteria on social media and unfortunately some of our media, we have never actually seen schools uh, be hotbeds of secondary transmission. They have reflected what's going on in the community. And the fact, for example, that all these numbers increased with, with uh, our current situation during the vacation it tells you that, I mean, children don't go into a black hole if they're not at school. So closing schools doesn't make any difference in, in terms of transmission, but it dramatically harms our children. And two years into this, the fact that in a place like Ontario, we're still doing something as regressive as closing schools uh, is really quite extraordinary. We have two years of accumulated data. We have studies. We have serological studies. We have tests. I mean, it's been unequivocally shown that schools can be kept open safely while also uh, managing what's going on in the community. And also, it's not just Canada. I mean, we could, for example, look at uh, all of Scandinavia and say, so why was Scandinavia able to keep all its schools open this entire time? What happened to the kids in Scandinavia? Well, nothing bad and lots of good things because, of course, their education was interrupted. They were allowed to socialize. They weren't isolated. They were allowed to take part in all their sports. And they don't have all the mandates we have here. And so two years into this, uh, we really should be asking some really, really hard-pointed questions regarding why we are doing uh, what we're doing, which, as I, I'm going to use the word, I mean, it's inexcusable, it's quite regressive, 
why we're pretending that something is inherently different in our schools compared to the vast majority of, of the rest of the world at this point. Why do you think it's going on? Because uh, I've heard you say, uh, I think you said it on this program, that COVID has been around long enough that we've been able to ascertain what the long-term ad- uh, effects are, like the adverse effects. I mean, I wish I knew. Uh, what we have at the moment is... Uh, a lot of misinformation about uh, the, the dangers of COVID. And there was, mis- there was and continues to be misinformation on the side of minimizing the impact of COVID. There has been misinformation on, um, you know, some of the, the comments made about the vaccines, uh, as in completely negating their benefit. But there has also been misinformation on the other side in terms of exaggerating the harms of COVID and, and exaggerating uh, the impact of our measures. And we've never called it out. We've never said to somebody who, for example, uh, starts uh, claiming on Twitter or whatever that children, uh, 35% of children will get long COVID. I mean, this is arrant nonsense. Uh, and we know this. We have very good studies that have shown that, that, that these risks are exceedingly low. There are some people who will get post-infectious syndromes, no doubt about that. But when you think specifically of children, we simply don't have objective data. And so when somebody goes on social media or goes on normal media and starts making these really quite preposterous claims about how harmful it all is, we should actually start challenging that. We think part of the problem is people are terrified, and we've done an incredibly poor job of trying to give a balanced message. The people who are at risk of progression to severe disease are, are older adults, people who have certain um, associated health risks, and the, that part of our population benefits significantly from choosing to be vaccinated because we know that that reduces the risk of hospitalization. And at a time when we have a lot of virus circulating, as would be true in any viral season, vulnerable people might do well to avoid really crowded conditions. But we also know that the risk to younger adults and to children from the virus, and particularly from Omicron, which is uh, in some way, I mean, it's it's very mild compared to some of the, the original strains we were dealing with, that, that our children, there may be the exception, but, but the preponderance of everything showing us that is that they're not at risk. And I think that we don't challenge the misinformation catastrophizing everything. And so, is, so we, we allow that to go unchallenged. And we, is, we there a, back. is there mixed messaging that's coming out of the medical profession on this that is really causing so. confusion for yes. parents and maybe for teachers as well, maybe even for politicians who should know better than, yes. well, they should be working harder maybe. But is there is there mixed messaging? A hundred percent there's mixed messaging. It would be really nice, I think, is if we reconvened or we convened or we got together, uh, I don't know what you could call it, like a COVID recovery group or or uh, post-pandemic group where we have all these diverse voices actually speaking together face-to-face or if you don't want to go face-to-face, at least you know, within within the same group so that these aren't debates happening on social media, which is really no place whatsoever to have a conversation. Okay, so if, if, uh, Dr. Fulford, you're saying yeah. that there's no reason then to close schools. I don't, no. I okay. do not believe there was any reason whatsoever. So then I do have this question. We are seeing these variants arrive. Correct. And we don't know what the variants are capable of or what their, 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 uh, their threat level is. Is it possible that there's going to be a variant that will arrive that will be sufficiently threatening 
that the schools should be closed. And if that happens, uh, do we go back to what you said before? And that is with COVID's been around long enough that we can, we have a pretty good idea of what it's going to do and we'll have time to react. Correct. Uh, and we, we have seasonal respiratory viruses every single year. We all know that. And really, if you look at the numbers right now, uh, and you look at the numbers being admitted to hospital, and you compare it to the total numbers we've had admitted to hospital over the last 10 years, to be honest, the numbers aren't that different than they've been in the last 10 years. I mean, the, the, the data is available online. People can look at what the normal admission and surges that we have every year in our hospitals. The, the big struggle we have right now, of course, is that we have a really a, a decimated workforce. But, but that, that and, and oddly enough, closing schools makes that worse because, again, the parents who are healthcare workers can't, I mean, these things are all in, intimately linked. So any policy we have or any measures that we have now should be what I've said before is total harm minimization. The single most important thing for our children is allowing them to be children. Okay, now I... Go to school, socialize. We know that the teachers have all had the opportunity to be vaccinated so that their risk of progression to severe disease is actually dramatically reduced. The vaccines work very well to do that. And, and that's sort of the pragmatic uh, moving forward. Yes, if we start to see a different variant, which I think every year we're going to sort of be dealing with, with, yeah, with, with coronaviruses circulating, we can revisit the issue. But we can't continually shut down society, close our schools, destroy our businesses for the possibility of something that might or might not occur in the future. Okay, I just spoke with, I don't know if you heard, but I spoke with the uh, president of the British Columbia Teachers Federation Mm-hmm. Uh, about their concerns, or at least the teachers' concerns. I know the Federation's concerns. I know that you support what British Columbia has done largely. Mm-hmm. Um, is, there, is there a model anywhere in this country where it's being done the way it should be done, or is British Columbia that example? Well, it's, it's an interesting question. I, it, the infrastructure of our schools uh, and some of the buildings is very poor. And so if somebody is saying, could we do better? Could we have better facilities? Could we do better with with that infrastructure? I think the answer is yes. But is that a reason not to to hold our children hostage and not reopen schools? No. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's an interesting argument. If I had to say, uh, if I had to look at where it's been done the best, it's actually Scandinavia. Uh, it's, it's the same virus. It's a similar schooling system. Uh, it's a very pragmatic approach. But yes, I think probably in, within Canada, British Columbia has managed to uh, keep the schools open okay. longest with the least uh, restrictions on our children. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.